start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. As we record, it's seven in the morning in New South Wales. And ten o'clock at night for me in the UK. Today, what the hell was the Herald thinking? Our media launches yet another new content marketing strategy. And News Corp misses out on its move into betting. Unmade. So, Damien, I need to ask you a favour. Go on, Tim. So, I need you, uh, when the news agent opens tomorrow, to pop out and whichever newspaper has printed a World Cup wall chart, I need you to buy a copy of for me so that it's waiting for me when I get back to Australia because I can't do a World Cup without following my team in the World Cup and we're going to be able to follow our team. We are. We are going to be able to follow our team. Now, if there's, if, if there's a few who do it, do you have a favourite? Is that a controversial question? <laughs> you mean my? Uh, will I pass the cricket test of whether to support England or Australia? Look, I, uh, at the moment I've got the bonus of no sleep in November, and I suppose, and look, maybe this is the time to get into the business side of this as well. What's really interesting about this is this is going to be a bit of a bonanza for SBS now. So, for people wondering what we're talking about, um, shortly before we started recording. Australia made it through to the World Cup. They beat Peru on penalties, which is pretty exciting. Um, now, that guarantees them at least three games. SBS have the rights. So I kind of – I didn't want to bring us bad luck. So when I was putting it in my calendar, I very carefully just wrote for each one, France versus Australia or Peru and so on. So there's a couple of games which – are on in an absolutely terrific time zone for Australia. Um, in particular, the one which is going to go so well, I suspect, for SBS on the very final day of the 2022 rating season, Saturday the 26th of November, it will be on at 9pm Australian time, Tunisia versus Australia, which will be that second one. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if that proves to be the biggest revenue day of the year for SBS because uh, of the marketing, marketing dollars that will be on that one. I can imagine there'll be a few very happy faces at SBS uh, this morning. I was going to suggest we do a spoiler alert, but uh, having seen a few of the headlines already and it's only uh, 15 or 20 minutes since, uh, since that penalty shootout, I don't really think we need to do that. No, there's no avoiding the uh, there's no avoiding the result, is there? Okay, well let's uh, let's get into the rest of the day's agenda. Uh, where should we start this week? Yeah, let's start this one with probably the biggest news story over the weekend: uh, the Sydney Morning Herald. Now, uh, it's attracted international headlines for the part it's played in Rebel Wilson coming out. Uh, announcing uh, her partner Ramona Agruma and Tim. What was the sequence of events here? Well, what a complete and utter mess is the truth of it. So uh, I, I guess to the outside world, it seemed a fairly straightforward series of events initially. So on Thursday, uh, Australian time, Rebel Wilson came out on Instagram, you know, rather sweetly talked about finding her Disney princess. Um, then it 
took something of a turn on Saturday with Andrea Hornery's column, the Sydney Morning Herald. He's the gossip columnist for the, the Herald, writes the private Sydney column, in which he, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still puzzled how you could be, you, you, you could lack so much self-awareness about what you're writing. And when we talk about journalists existing in a, in a little kind of bubble, then it was one of those examples where he revealed that he had triggered the, um, the the post in the first place by emailing her representatives and giving her two day a two day deadline to comment on the fact that he knew who their new partner was, and described it as on his part a big mistake because you know he seemed rather cross. It seemed like a bit of a complaint to the manager that Reverend Wilson had taken away his scoop and gone public herself. So almost instantly there was the beginnings of a backlash on social media. Um, and then um, where, where things, I think, got worse reputationally for the Sydney Morning Herald was it, it, it seemed like there wasn't a real understanding that there are still, in 2022, issues about the timing of somebody when and how they choose to come out. So the the fairly new editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, Bevan Shields, who's been in the role for I think about six or seven months now, um, put up a, a, a sort of a short piece himself in which really he was, you know, trying to argue, I think, that the people interpreting this as sort of forcing the coming out were just interpreting it wrongly. Um, and it... It, it, that, that that created even more of a backlash, and gra- you know, quite quickly it became an international story. You know, it's it, it's been reported, certainly heavily reported in the British press, for instance. Um, so that was the next stage, and then yesterday afternoon, another piece from Andrew Hornery, more apologetic in tone, accepting that he'd got wrong the tone in Saturday's column, uh, and taking down the original piece. So um, yeah, it, it 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 wasn't a great sequence of events, really, for the Sydney Morning Herald. So you and I have both had experience in the newspaper game and news media in, in general, uh, especially now with the Sydney Morning Herald, is very much uh, digitally based. But um, tell me, what? in your mind here sort of went wrong with the editorial decision making what should the process be look there's so much i find myself thinking about this um and just wondering about that because of course you know this is a as i say a relatively inexperienced editor you know um six or seven months in the role and i i would imagine the most inexperienced editor in the history of the Sydney Morning Herald as well, certainly in recent years. So what what would normally have happened would have been there'd have been various kind of points in the run-up where you would have expected that Andrew Horry would have shared with the news desk, you know, at news conferences, etc., what he was working on so that there would have been an awareness. Now what you would have probably expected of an experienced editor was for an alarm bell to go that this could be a sensitive topic. This isn't just, you know, another, you know, another new boyfriend for Rebel Wilson. Like it or not, it is different when someone comes out and this would effectively be it. So 
the you 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 would have hoped at that point a few sensitivities would have would have kicked in anyway so i think that's the first question is was bevan shields aware ahead of time that this was a story that was being chased because you know we almost go in two directions one is if he was and didn't spot the sensitivities around it well that's one thing um or the other would have been well why wasn't he made aware and then of course you you know you 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 have a whole different set of things which is you know we have somebody editing that paper who's a lot younger than many of the experienced journalists doing the reporting for him and you then wonder why you know if he wasn't looped in ahead of time then why was that um so uh, we, we we don't fully know but certainly what seems to have happened is Rebel Wilson and her management took the email with the two-day deadline of, of commenting as, um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a, can we have permission to write this story? It was, you know, the tone was, we're going to write this story, comment or not. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it does feel like something went wrong in the kind of the managing the process up to that moment. Okay, so you mentioned that him, you know, is is one of the younger uh, editors of the Herald uh, for quite some time. Uh, his experience level, I mean, look in media and marketing, this is not necessarily a unique case in terms of whether it's an ad agency or a well-known publication. We've had young people uh, editing or, or in senior roles, CEO, etc., um, for a while. In my mind. Uh, if you're going to do the role, you need to do the role. The role doesn't necessarily change. You go in knowing what it is. So with all that in mind, Tim, it, should the SMH get any sort of benefit of the doubt in, in this situation, regardless of Bevan's experience? Well, again, where you, 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 you do come in with benefit of the doubt, well, two things. You know, I, I, you know, I've certainly never edited a a masthead as famous as the Sydney Morning Herald. But I think about my times on daily papers where even when I was doing sort of, you know, the the second or third on the news desk role, this was a, you know, multi-edition paper in the UK, I just juggling the few pages I had responsibility of for the next day, I, you know, I struggled to stay on top of everything that was going on. And that's always that thing for editors is... You, you, you end up needing an instinct for where the problem's going to come from. You know, and I found, hey, even when I worked on magazines or Umbrella, over time, having had problems and dealt with them, I got better at spotting the problems when they came up. And this is what seemed to happen this time round was nobody was experienced enough to see that the potential problem was coming and make a call to handle it carefully. So I do have a sort of, you know, understanding of that where these things come. But in terms of your sort of, your, your, your point on benefit of the doubt, now, one of the problems the Sydney Morning Herald has in terms of credibility is it doesn't have a great history in this, in, in, in this way. So the, 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 the original, um, when it was called the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras protesters, the 78ers, um, were arrested in 1978 in the march. And at the time, the Sydney Morning Herald took the relatively unusual step of publishing all of their names and details, the 53 people arrested on its front page. And many of them were 
outed to friends, family, workplaces um, on that day, and some of them lost their jobs. Um, so the Sydney Morning Herald, under uh, one of um, Bevan Shields' predecessors, Darren Goodsir, finally apologised for that back in 2016. So that's an extra piece of context when it comes to the Sydney Morning Herald already, you know, being on on on, on tricky ground on this. And this is this is despite the fact that um, you know it is you know a newspaper which has a progressive agenda. Um, I don't think many people would would see it as you know sort of you know, going into you know deliberately to, to 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 take any sort of homophobic agenda. You know that wasn't what was going on. It was more sort of selfish or clumsy journalism, um, we, we, you know, which 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 ended with, with with that sort of result, which has just been so bad for the newspaper's reputation, you know. And I and I suppose that's the one thing for me is this is such an unforced error, you know. We often find ourselves talking about the News Corp tabloids or the Australian from the News Corp stable causing offence or causing criticism, usually in some element of the culture wars, but normally very knowingly. The difference here is this seems to be entirely a cock-up. Coming up next, R Media makes a big new content marketing hire. Unmade. It emerged at the end of last week that one of the most senior executives in the world of content marketing has a new home. Mumbrella revealed that Simon Smith has been appointed as R Media's new head of commercial content and creative. Tim, R Media used to be Bauer Media. What's the history in the content marketing space? Well, it is a long and complex one, like so many things involving that particular company, which, as you say, is known as R Media these days, was Bauer Media before that, and was ACP before that as well. So um, maybe about a decade ago, what was was then Bauer Media had a really great position in in. We weren't even calling it content marketing then. I think we were still calling it custom publishing. And the moment it began to slip away was um, uh, it had been just a few years under the ownership of the, 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 the German company, Bauer. And Jerry Reynolds, who headed up the custom publishing side of things, left. And he went off to start Medium Rare, which is uh, backed by News Corp. Um, Sally Wright, Bauer's custom media publisher, went across as well. And quite quickly, they lost Coles, they lost Qantas, they lost Foxtel. So um, it really um, changed uh, the dynamic when it came to content marketing for um, for Bauer. So they, a couple of years later in 2015, as custom marketing and content marketing was beginning to take off, they rebranded. They became Bauer Works, uh, headed by Niall Murphy. Um, but he resigned seven months later. So again, there was this full star, replaced by Eugene. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but I'm going to go with Riccio. Um Now, that didn't last very long either. 2017, they got rid of Bauer Works as a standalone unit. Um, now, I think that was probably just because it wasn't, it wasn't picking up enough comps, um, custom publishing work anymore. Um, so um, Eugene Verriccio was made redundant um, and they sort of said, we're going to focus on the digital side of things. That only lasted for five months. And then they launched Story 54, 
which is under Jane Waterhouse. Um, and that, that seemed to get a bit of momentum. It sort of seemed to coincide with Bauer just beginning to get a few things kind of back in gear. It, it, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with its digital strategy, but it at least launched a digital strategy at that point. Um, and Jane Waterhouse won. Um, she won, a, I think it was Leader of the Year, Published Leader of the Year at Umbrella's Publisher Awards. I remember being on stage and handing her a trophy for that. Um, anyway, they, as far as I can tell, they quietly closed Story 54, and 54 being named 54 Park Street, by the way, the famous Bauer slash our media headquarters address. So I, I think they, they closed Story 54 as a separate brand at some point in 2021, although I don't think there was an announcement. Um, and it looked like at that point, Jane Waterhouse got the new title of GM of Brands and Commercial Solutions. So um, we kind of... that. That, I suppose, gets us to, 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 to where we were until this information came out at the end of last week. Yeah, so we mentioned that uh, Simon is one of the best-known uh, senior executives in content marketing. Uh, he's, he's been on stage a fair bit at uh, the Mumbrella events that I used to curate. But, uh, Tim, maybe give us a bit of uh, background on him. Why is this a, a, a big news hire for our media? Yeah, so the, the, the title of his role is Head of Commercial Content and Creative. So it doesn't actually have the words content marketing in there, but it is one of those phrases and, 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 and you know, descriptions that, that changes a while. It's, it's not clear from the announcement um, exactly where the working relationship will be with, with Jane Waterhouse because it sort of implies in the announcement that he'll report into the sales side and Andrew Cook. Um, but um, And it also doesn't necessarily make clear whether he will actually have a team reporting into him. But, but yeah, look, you know, he, he is definitely one of the executives who's got the deepest knowledge in that content marketing space. So he actually has worked at ACP before. So he was um, group sales manager from 2000 to 2007. Um, he then was uh, managing director of content marketing at Fairfax. And if I remember rightly, he was the first and possibly only Managing Director of Content Marketing. So that was from 2013 to 16. And then he went over to News Corp after that, where he launched um, News Corp's content agency, which was, um, or I'm not sure whether to say was or is actually, Dana, called Suddenly. But mm. I, again, it's a bit like Story 54. It's only when you kind of think mm. of it, you think, I actually don't remember anyone talking about Suddenly anytime recently. So I, I do wonder whether News Corp of quietly toned uh, toned that one down but um but you know if you're if you're an organization like um our media where you do have some some big audiences hopefully growing audiences in digital then you know content marketing absolutely has to be a part of that play so you can see why it makes sense for them to have uh made this hire coming up next turbulence on the unmade index Tim, Saturday's best of the week. Uh, it was revealed that the unmade index has now fallen more than 35%. Uh, any signs that we're hitting the bottom yet? Mate, I think it'll be a different question today when the market's open. Um, so we obviously had a public holiday on Monday, which means 
we, we, we didn't get all of the bad news from the US market on Friday, which went down. Um, and then uh, various uh, Bitcoin prices went down over the weekend. And then as I speak to you first thing in the morning on, on Tuesday Australian time, we've just had a day of trading in uh, the US and the UK just coming to the close from the US as we're recording and another really bad day. So most of the US markets down, like the NASDAQ was down nearly 5%, um, the S&P 500 down nearly 4%, the Dow Jones down nearly 3%. So we're going to see all of that happen uh, or follow through on the, on the, the ASX. And what we have tended to see happen um, over the last three or four months is when there's bad news on the ASX, then the bad news is twice as bad on the unmade index. And when there's good news on the ASX, then it, 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 it goes up doubly so. You know, the stocks are just a bit like that. But, um, but yeah, the shocking thing is I wonder whether we'll edge closer from that 35% to 40% down for the year. And that, that's the thing. You know, whereas you have, you know, you, you have your corrections and you have your bear markets, I'm not even sure what happens when you hit 40% down because, you know, you, you're in a bear market when you're 20. So a double bear market, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, looking at some of the stocks, which are so far down, uh, nine is um, now below 3.4 billion, having not long ago had a market cap of 5 billion. Um O Media and Seven had both been above a billion dollars. They're now both well below seven hundred million each. So that's well off. Um, even H T and E, whose prospects had seemed pretty good, um, they're not much above four hundred million now. And Southern Cross Media, less than three hundred million dollars now, which is very little for um, for you know the number of assets there. So. Something strange is going on at the moment with valuations. You know, we're we're at the point where the sentiment is so bad. Surely, um, there's got to be a a, a a way up from here. But I'm not sure we're going to see it this week. Yeah, so I think that's a, a a good question for people who don't necessarily live and breathe uh, the stock market, which is you know the the, the top line headlines would have been the, the significant fall across the board, way beyond media and marketing companies, way beyond the unmade index. Everyone generally seems to be going for this uh, this free fall this year so far. In terms of the media and marketing companies, which as you've just uh, highlighted, have dropped significantly, are they just along for the ride here? Is, can you see anything that they can do to alleviate their pain or, or is this something where they're, they're just going to have to go with the flow now? I think, as you implied from the question, it's the right question because it feels that so much is just driven by sentiment about that type of stock at the moment. So everybody benefited a bit when the market was in love with streaming, for instance, and that was the future. And, you know, the Netflix effect dragged everyone with them. And then when the market turned against the costs of streaming, then that went down with them. So, you know, in 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 the end, I suppose, where we don't want to get too carried away is in the short term, share prices go up, share prices go down. It's not real money. Um, the the question for people, you know, working in this industry is at what point does a declining share price make a board or a CEO make 
desperate moves that they otherwise wouldn't have done, which is often redundancies. Now, weirdly, because everybody's down at once, that might actually help a little bit because you don't put a particular CEO or board under particular pressure. Um, so I, I, I think all people can do at the moment is go on trading sensibly, uh, try and run their businesses just as sensible, hopefully profitable media businesses and not panic just yet. Coming up next, News Corp's push into betting falls flat. It emerged over the weekend that News Corp's attempt to widen its strategy beyond media and into betting has gone off course. What seems to have gone wrong, Damo? Yeah, so there are a few facets to this one, Tim. It was reported uh, across the SMH and The Age uh, by Zoe Samuelson and also followed up by uh, Elizabeth Knight that... uh, the attempt by News Corp to purchase the Australian component of PointsBet um, for $220 million or b- between $220 million to $300 million uh, has failed uh, to succeed. Um, now, why would News Corp uh, want to do that? Uh, they've announced previously a, um, a deal between themselves um, – gambling, betting, wagering um, startup founder Matthew Tripp, uh, very well known in that space, as well as uh, Vegas business Tech Corp um, to essentially launch something uh, into market in that space. Now, for those who don't know uh, Matthew Tripp, um, he has really made his name from building sports bet into the country's second largest uh, bookmaker after the TAB. And um, he also established Bet Easy in 2014 uh, before he sold that to a, a Canadian business, uh, the Stars Group, uh, nothing to do with the Star uh, Casino. Um, so News Corp has, has made it well known that, that they want to enter this space. And taking, point, uh, taking points bets Australian uh, business uh, would have uh, essentially, according to Knight, uh, given them two hundred and thirty-three thousand active uh, active users, uh, essentially to really kickstart that uh, that database and, and that business. But it seems like there's a little bit of a, a, a an argument as to who really kicked off uh, that discussion, whether it was News Corp going into to try and persuade uh, PointsBet to uh, essentially sell at the Australian o- operation, whether it was actually PointsBet itself approaching News Corp uh, and suggesting that uh, a tie-up uh, would be in order. Uh, Zoe Samios uh, is sort of reporting on the side of News Corp uh, leading that one, whereas Knight has come in and given a little bit more context to, around potentially PointsBet having had some uh, part in uh, approaching News Corp, uh, but whatever uh, whatever the case there, what we have established is, is that it hasn't succeeded. Um, News Corp will still very much likely launch something uh, into market. Uh, it just won't be with um, with PointsBet. Uh, now, look, 
PointsBet's going quite strong. The Australian uh, um, had a 140% turnover jump uh, last year uh, to $2 billion after a fairly significant uh, marketing play that a few of our uh, listeners probably uh, have seen. Uh, most famously, uh, Shaquille O'Neal ap- appearing in uh, a, a lot of their TV commercials. Um but realistically uh, speaking, you know, as we've just spoken about in, in terms of the market, they too have, have uh, suffered like most people uh, on, on the ASX, most businesses on the ASX are currently sitting at a 52-week low uh, valuation, $2.28. Uh, um, but like I say, we're still expecting news to, to enter the market uh, potentially this year. They've got experience uh, with uh, businesses like Foxbet, in the US, and it's really following uh, a lot of what we've seen previously with media companies and uh, sports betting businesses having much closer tie-ups, which of course has been a, a fairly a significant talking point in the the media and uh, marketing industry of, of late. But um, Tim, were you surprised that this uh, this didn't uh, work out? I must admit, I'd not really been following it that closely. I kind of had a vague awareness that um, News Corp were wanting to do something in the betting space. Um, I seem to remember they tried something in the UK, and that didn't go particularly well. Um, and it, you know, it makes a kind of logical sense, doesn't it? You know, when the kind of the business of news is is fading, and we're already at the case where the news part of the business isn't the part that drives most of the profits you know for instance you know real estate is uh, far more profitable now so that sort of you know you know heading in other directions is makes sense um it's been tried before by news corp not very successfully again you know there was a there was a point at which they wanted to become far more of a kind of and this again was more in the uk but more of a kind of travel agent almost you know than they which again always made sense because they used to do you know go on holiday for a pound type holidays with with the sun tabloid newspaper in the uk and you know as you say very close to to you know betting already you know you only have to look at the kind of you know the pullout for um you know the the the, the racing pullouts with all of the you know the, the kind of the odds and everything in the tabloids um to, to, to realise that they're intrinsically part of the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd i be more surprised if they just decide that that's it, they're not going to try again. So I suspect that in the end we'll, we'll see some sort of deal done. If not, um, if not with this one, then with another. Yeah, absolutely. Look, also, News Corp owns punters.com and, and Racenet as well, so they, they've already got a, a small foot in the door. But look to your point just then as well, uh, stats from Ibis World, the, the racing and, and sports betting market uh, in Australia is worth $5.2 billion in, in 2022. It's it's no wonder that they, they want a piece of that one. Um, so looking forward to seeing what happens next there. Well, that is almost it from us for today. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. Before we go, don't miss out on Unmade's first... Oh, now, let's see how we pronounce that. 
E-Office. E- e- uh, is that how the office works uh, ad is pronouncing? The end of financial year sale. Uh, Unmade has one. And until the end of financial year, you can sign up for a paid Unmade membership for 55% off. That reduces our usual $360 price all the way down to $292.50. Sign up at unmade.media. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.